Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Hey, listener, I know it's a weird day to be getting an episode in your feed, but here's what happened. We had a different plan for this week, but we, we had to chuck it and put this episode together quickly instead because Facebook is over. Okay, that's disinformation, but Facebook was shaken and hard this week. So let's see what's up. Hello and welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. This is Critical is the cultural criticism show where we live to surprise and don't worship idols of any kind. Least of all, Facebook. I'm going to keep it short today because Facebook's in the news and I have two formidable guests to join me today and talk about Monday's Facebook catastrophe. Facetastrophe. As you may have heard, Facebook and its many subsidiaries, Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger, that weird Oculus thing, even Facebook's own headquarters, which require a code to get into, all of them shut down for several hours on Monday. Curtains. Now, the reason for all this turned out to be banal and somewhat technical. Rumors of sabotage from inside or hackers from outside, very exciting. Most of that circulated on Twitter, where Jack Dorsey also asked how much it might cost him to buy Facebook.com. All of that fun turned out to be rumors. But even if something nefarious or permanent weren't afoot at Facebook, the blackout gave us a day to reflect on the expose of the company published in the Wall Street Journal, reported on 60 Minutes Sunday night, and then testified to in Congress on Tuesday. Francis Haugen, a one-time product manager at the company, has managed to sneak out of Facebook with some very damning documents that showed the company has whitelisted certain celebrity accounts, meaning they could post and disseminate any disinformation they liked. And she went on in her testimony before Congress to say that Facebook puts astronomical profits before people and that its products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. Those are quotes from Francis Haugen. I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been more division, more harm, more lies, more threats, and more combat. A rep from Facebook took a shot at Francis on Twitter, Yes, he had to go to Twitter to make the point, which many people laughed at. He said Francis Hagen did not work on child safety. And then the company added after her testimony on Tuesday, quote, we don't agree with her characterization of the many issues she testified about. Despite all this, we agree on one thing. It's time to begin to create standard rules for the Internet. Yes, we've heard that before from Facebook. In short, Haugen has argued Facebook knows full well of the harm it does, and the company has done next to nothing to mitigate that harm. Later, I'll be joined by someone who just might have the solution to Facebook's problems, or at least society's problems with Facebook. 
But first up, Stephen Levy joins me. Levy is the preeminent American journalist on tech. He spent a lot of time with Francis Haugen as the journalist who's gotten deepest into the notoriously secretive company. I've worked in Silicon Valley myself and published a book about the internet, and all I know is that the rest of us who write about tech are agog at how good Levy's sources are, how deep his access, and how meticulous his reporting. Stephen Levy's recent comprehensive book about Facebook is called Facebook, The Inside Story, and the paperback came out last February. Stephen, welcome to This is Critical. Thank you, Virginia. It's fun to be on your show. Maybe just as we're starting, Stephen, you can um, summarize for me the highlights or maybe the lowlights of the documents that Francis Haugen brought to light. Sure. You know, I mean, there was a number of issues. The one that Congress uh, glommed onto were um, the revelations that Facebook had done a lot of research into the impact of Instagram on teenage girls. It turned out for a significant number of them, it was bad and Facebook didn't do enough. There was um, uh, a post, uh, some documents about Facebook had this list of people whose content they wouldn't police so aggressively. You know, people had sort of like a, like a get out of jail free pass, a whole pass to spread a little misinformation. And this list kind of grew to over a million people somehow, you know, which was, was, was nuts. Um, yeah. There was another one, which I think is one of the more damning ones that said that Facebook actually put, even after all the criticism, very little effort into putting the resources to police content in non-English languages, Mm -hmm. the places where, you know, uh, inflammatory posts on Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp could lead to violence. Um, Of all the scandals, and there's been hundreds of them, actually, uh, this one is kind of reaching the Cambridge Analytica level of, you know, critical mass, so to speak, for, for Facebook. Then, of course, they put the cherry on top by going dark for five hours. Yeah, I mean, I want to get to the to Francis Haugen's testimony and um, and expose, but let's talk a little bit about the outage on Monday because you brought it up. Did you believe any of the conspiracy theories? Tell me the truth, because I loved the idea. I didn't circulate it, but I did love the idea that it could be sabotage from within, that one of the employees had just decided to take a big shot at Facebook. Um, It wasn't that. It turns out to have some much more banal explanation. But what do you think was going on with the outage? What should we read into it, if anything? Well, I I think the lesson we get, and it looks like it is just like an internet kind of screw up, right? You know, that, Mm -hmm. that led to the problem. But what made it so difficult for Facebook to get back online was that Facebook relied too much on Facebook, right? The systems they had to fix the system were tied to their systems, the you know, Facebook systems. So if Facebook went down, Facebook didn't have the tools to bring itself back up because they were down. Yeah, so it was a, it was for them an unhappy accident, but it, and it gave people time to assess their dependency on Facebook, which is enormous, obviously, and also a little pause to kind of reflect on what we had recently learned from this whistleblower, you know, who started talking 60 Minutes and her her uh, expose and the documents she revealed were also in the Wall Street Journal. What did you think about 
during those hours? Or what did you think about that you learned from Francis Haugen, if anything? The bottom line lesson that we extract from it was something that people who followed Facebook closely, it's in the, or in the shocked but not surprised category, that you know, it gives you details of what you knew all along. And actually it was like a huge theme in my book, which was when faced with a choice of coming up with something that would make the product better for society or even the mental health of his users, um, Zuckerberg would often choose to take a course that favored growth mm-hmm. or profits in some cases. It's sort of the same thing. Um, and it, I, that became such a theme in my book that when I was fact-checking it, the, their response was, this sounds accurate. I mean, even, mm. even they acknowledge that. And this is yeah. that writ large. Mm-hmm. I've been sort of thinking about whistleblowers. And whenever someone smuggles documents out of something, I'm sure your mind goes where mine does to Daniel Ellsberg and the Pentagon Papers. And one thing interesting about the Pentagon Papers, if I remember right, was the nation was still majority anti-war by the time those papers came out. And most people knew that, you know, there was all kinds of cloak and dagger dealing and that things were really bad there. And even the Pentagon Papers didn't get, Ellsberg's scoop didn't get total pride of place in in the newspapers until Nixon went crazy about it. Mm. So Francis Hagen's scoop could sink like a stone, uh, except that Facebook seems to be reeling from it the way they did with the Cambridge Analytica stuff. Where does this Facebook response go? Um, well, that's, that's an open question. You know, um, I forget which senator, you know, I think Markey said, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, your time is up. You know, we're going to act. But yeah. that's what both the people in the Senate and the House said in 2018. I was there when Mark Zuckerberg testified. They all said that. You know, yeah. Diane Feinstein very famously, you know, like I said, we're going to act. And they never act. The lobbyists get to them. Um, they can't agree on anything. They can't even agree to keep the country open, right? Mm-hmm. So are they going to come out with like a, a sensible way to regulate Facebook? Where Facebook really has to be concerned about and is concerned about is in order to keep going, keep dominating, um, and, and build the metaverse, whatever hell they, they want to do next, yeah. they need the best talent. They need the best AI scientists. Yes. They need the best, you know, software engineers, all kinds of stuff. People who are very much in demand by many companies and startups. And if Facebook is seen as a toxic place to work, that's not good for Facebook. And they know that is a serious, serious threat. One of the things, and I want to ask you about Frances Haugen since you've spent time with her, and I was so glad she was in product and that she's a en- trained engineer because she has a lot of credibility at the company. You know, it's always the product people who are the heroes. Yeah. Am I right in her, my assessment of her? I mean, does she have the fortitude to kind of go all the way? I haven't been much in touch with her for a long time, but um when I met her, it was unusual circumstances where I got to know her pretty well. I literally went around the world with hmm. Frances Hagen. Uh, in 2007, I went on this trip led by Marissa Mayer uh, of young 
young Google leaders. It was a two-year program, and halfway through, she would usher them on this international trip. And we literally went around the world. I was embedded in this trip for 16 days. Mm. And Francis was like 22 years old at the time. But I'll tell you, and I really mean this, if you had asked me right then, which one of these 18 young people who are, you know, beginning their careers would one day be a whistleblower? I would have picked Francis. Wow. She didn't tolerate things that were wrong. Let me put it that way. Mm. And you see this a lot. She was a very proud nerd, right? You know, mm. and, you know, mm-hmm. she like gleefully engaged in math nerd kinds of things. She was, she took a big survey of the people to see, you know, kind of like at the stats of where they came from and things like mm. that. We had a long talk about space elevators, um, mm. you know, which was like a thing at Google then. So I could see her, you know, being so indignant of this issue that she would take action there. I'm seeing now also she was, uh, her father was a doctor, her mother was an Episcopalian priest after being an academic and from Iowa. Yeah, yeah. So I think of all the hearings I've listened to, and most of the Congress critters listen to her, right? They they actually, and, and she's able to explain, even though she wasn't involved in creating a lot of these algorithms, um, she acted mainly as a guide to the documents, a very well-informed, mm-hmm. knowledgeable guide um, to how the stuff works. So let me ask you just a nuts and bolts question that I don't understand. On 60 Minutes, they do some kind of little set piece that shows uh, Haugen looking through documents, looking very serious, and they're paper documents. And they say she copied those documents. What did that actually look like? Because just getting the papers out of the Pentagon um, for Daniel Ellsberg, just the logistics of it were difficult. There wasn't actually paper or copy machines involved. No, she she has it a lot easier than Daniel Ellsberg. What she did was she went to the Facebook internal system, right? The, the Facebook yeah. workplace. And just like they were available for her to look at. She, in her own description, she was shocked at how easy it was. Um, and she kept expecting people to say, because Facebook does log this stuff, but no one looks at the logs apparently, uh, to say, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're not in this group. You're not in research. Why are you downloading all these research documents? Um, No one came, and she kept expecting someone to tap her from behind. So do you think that people have speculated, and I know there's an enormous amount of enthusiasm because if there's any blood in the water for Facebook, it's competitors, lawmakers, uh, Twitter journalists, Twitter users, basically since it started, people have been gunning for its demise while also becoming dependent on it. One of the things that there was speculation about, um, at least on Twitter, was that more people would come forward, that Francis Haugen had emboldened other people to come forward at Facebook and talk about nefarious misdeeds there and maybe contribute to um, something bigger than reform. You are in a, uniquely in a good position mm-hmm. to tell us because you know the people of Facebook so well. So you think more people will come forward? Well, it, it, it's been happening. I mean, the, pretty much any internal uh, memo that Zuckerberg puts out or, you know, the top people put out, you know, instantly goes to some journalists. There's probably, quite literally, I'd say 100 people 
in the world and working for the media who spend full time, like, just waiting for Facebook to fuck up. Yeah. And they're, they're on it. You know, and then, then there's been a lot of things coming from inside. A lot of times people leave yeah. and then spill. So I, I, I don't think that's going to stop. But I don't know if anyone tops this one. You know, the syzygy of Francis Haugen at this time, those documents and the hearing, right? You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that's outage. what I stand on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and th- I think that's why I was going over the Ellsberg thing, because there's so much that makes or doesn't make a whistleblower effective in addition to the thing she or he has to say, um, you know, how it's framed by the media, Congress, and so on. So you're right that this is a uh, concatenation of events. And also, I have to say, she took Snowden one better. When she came out on Facebook, right, so, you know, her identity wasn't even known to the Wall Street Journal. They didn't write the stories like, mm-hmm. we have a deep throat who gave us this. They just gave yeah. the documents saying yes. they came out there. Then all of a sudden became out, actually, there's one person. And then who's this one person? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to learn who she is on 60 Minutes. Mm. That Then, bang, she's got a website set up. Mm. She's got a press operation. Yes. She's got lawyers. She's been, she's wired with the SEC. She's into Congress. You know, she's a very organized person. After the break. So now what? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Welcome back to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Now that we've heard all about the whistleblower's complaints from Stephen Levy, I want to talk about the broader cultural implications for all this. My guest is the perfect person for this question. Siva Vaidyanathan is director of the Center for Media and Citizenship at the University of Virginia. He wrote the book Anti-Social Media, How Facebook Disconnects Us and Undermines Democracy. Siva, welcome to This is Critical. It's my pleasure. It's so good to speak to you again. Yes, I feel the same. I told you that there was a feeling of absolute lightness in my cells yesterday (laughs) when Facebook went down for several hours. I didn't even know how big that burden was. But we also didn't know how, or I didn't know, the extent of the planet's absolute dependence on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Let me just give you a sense of the lower income and wealth you are, the more you depend on Facebook to just manage your day, to manage, you know, your social relations, your familial relations, childcare, multiple jobs, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. In much of the world, uh, much of the world, for instance, like Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Indonesia, the Philippines, Kenya, Nigeria, countries like that that have wealth and have uh, or some wealth, but maldistributional wealth. They have a widespread dependence on Facebook in daily life, Facebook and WhatsApp Mm -hmm. as the sort of pairs. So imagine someone who has started a small business in a village in India uh, in the past five years, and there were a lot of them, 
Um, that person would have set up a business as a Facebook business page, would have used Facebook payments, which is the, one of the few widely available electronic payment systems for people who don't have credit cards, would use WhatsApp for the same thing, would take orders by WhatsApp. Um, that person basically couldn't do business for five or six hours yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, in India, it was the middle of the night, so maybe didn't have that profound an influence on those firms, but nonetheless, it's the potential for this sort of thing happening can actually be, be pretty devastating for much of the world. Let's also remember, this is a number Americans have trouble with. B, billions, right? Three billion people use Facebook, or it's going to hit three billion people by January. Three mm -hmm. billion people, right? So we're talking yeah. about the most pervasive global communication system in the history of the world. We've never seen anything like it. We've never lived with anything like it. 18th, 19th, 20th century antecedents do not apply, whether it's Standard Oil or AT&T or, uh, or, or, or uh, the New York Times or CNN or BBC, right? Mm -hmm. None of that applies. Mm -hmm. This is totally mm -hmm. new to us. I think we should probably back up to the whistleblower yeah. um, and, um, and discuss what happened. It was a kind of one-two punch for Facebook. Yeah. Um, Francis Haugen uh, in the Civic Integrity Group to guard against misinformation, she, they keep saying copied documents. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that looked like. Well, but it, what's not they, copying? Yes, exactly. A PDF's a PDF. A PDF's a PDF <laughs> that she had access to right. that, that said really smoking gun kind of things. We've had plenty of gossip out of Facebook, but this showed exactly the kind of thing we heard from Big Tobacco, um, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. that they knew the harms. They knew yeah. the harms that disinformation was doing. What did you learn from Francis Haugen's act of whistleblowing? So I think um, uh, politically, the content of these documents is right up there with those tobacco documents that the tobacco company's employees uh, released uh, and got states' attorneys general involved, right, mm -hmm. in the 1980s and 90s and created you know, massive lawsuits and settlements and, and I think directly contributed to the significant reduction in smoking in this country as well as, you know, uh, funded smoking secession programs. And so you have this really important precedent of an employee who is a scientist, is at the highest levels of knowledge in a company um, uh, saying, I can't take this anymore, right? This is, this is too far. Now, in terms of the content of the documents, um, while significant because it is Facebook's own researchers who have significantly different data sets and in many ways be better data sets to work with, the, it was gratifying to see that the scientists inside Facebook concluded almost exactly the same things that my colleagues in the scholarly community have been saying for a decade. We have been studying the effects of Facebook on the world, on micro communities, on teenage girls, mm -hmm. on minority communities, on religious minorities, on, on quasi-democratic states, on undemocratic states. We've been studying this stuff for 10 years. It's all documented in the scholarly literature. It's just really hard to get journalists to pay attention to scholarly work. It's tough for the likes of me to say, wait a minute, everybody, we have a problem in Myanmar, right? It just no, no one was paying attention. Mm -hmm. Trump flipped that, right? And the, the ways in which the Trump campaign used Facebook was important. And, and that sort of opened up a lot of journalists' agendas to the notion that Facebook had all these negative externalities. Point is, these problems are endemic to Facebook. They are the result of the fact that the entire system is built to maximize engagement, 
to maximize growth, to maximize spread, to maximize time spent on Facebook. Here's the thing about Facebook that I think a lot of Americans don't quite grasp. They're more about users and growth than they are about money. Um, mm -hmm. Imagine being so wealthy, you don't have to think about money, right? And mm -hmm. any attempt to suggest a response to the problems must take that seriously. And we see that in these documents. So let's unpack that a bit. So what we learned from her reports is that in all those corner offices in Facebook, the obsession is and has always been with growth and engagement, mm -hmm. growth and engagement. Now, we've known that because there were previously leaked reports from inside of Facebook from top people emphasizing growth and engagement. We've known it through what, just watching what Facebook does for the last uh, decade and a half. But it was really clear in these reports when we saw that suggestions that came from the researchers that maybe Facebook dialed down the really nasty stuff on Instagram that is driving teenage girls to self-harm, mm -hmm. the response from leadership was, we don't want to mess with growth and engagement. Well, that growth mm -hmm. and engagement can only occur through massive surveillance, right? They have to know what we care about. They have mm -hmm. to gear everything to promote the items that generate reaction. And it just so happens that on Instagram and on Facebook, when you post things about ways that teenage girls might drop six pounds in a week, that stuff generates reaction. And mm -hmm. this is important. It's not all positive reaction. In fact, probably most of it is a negative response. Please don't do that. Please think differently. Here's a link mm -hmm. to some better information. Mm -hmm. But every one of those responses feeds the beast feeds mm -hmm. Facebook and says, let's amplify this. So that me measure of surveillance, along with the fact that Facebook knows where we are, knows what we buy. Like if you're on another website and you buy diuretics, you buy, you know, fiber supplements and Facebook knows you're 16 years old, Facebook makes that connection. The surveillance system tailors the feeds on both Facebook and Instagram and the ads on, the, on Facebook and Instagram and the suggestion engines for groups to what Facebook knows about us, where we go all the time, where we shop, what we read, what we respond to. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the whistleblower pointed out that I think is really crucial is something that a lot of us have been paying attention to. In 2018, just after the initial brouhaha over Facebook causing political trouble in the world mm -hmm. had started to ebb, uh, Zuckerberg decided that one of the reasons, and he had studies from Facebook research showing this, one of the reasons that people feel bad about the world when they're on Facebook is that there's so much news on Facebook. People keep seeing stories about war and famine and destruction and genocide and or just even climate change, and that's making people sad. And if people are sad or frustrated, then they're not going to want to stay on Facebook, right? They're going to feel bad. And so he decided that he would tweak the algorithm to dial down any content that came from professional news organizations mm -hmm. and dial up the content that comes from our friends and family, mm -hmm. not realizing that that crazy uncle who is now really into QAnon is going to soon dominate people's feeds, that the crazy uncles around the country are all going to find themselves in QAnon groups. They're mm -hmm. going to quickly join anti-vax groups. They're all going to be listening to Joe Rogan and sharing clips from Joe Rogan's show through mm -hmm. these Facebook groups. They're going to all plan a trip on January 6th to the Capitol, right? Mm -hmm. 
that came out of that move to have friends and family dominate Facebook. The stuff we signed up for, the puppies and the babies. Yeah. There's a direct line between that and January 6th because Mark Zuckerberg, in his constant effort to socially engineer us, Mm -hmm. never considers that there are unintended consequences. We'll be right back after this. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Welcome back to This is Critical. I want to talk to you about reforms because I yeah. know you and I, you and I, you and I slightly, I'm a little more hopeful. Right. Um, I tend to think, I think of Doris Lessing's quote. I, I'm looking at it right now. When I was a girl, the idea that the British Empire could ever end was absolutely inconceivable. This is yeah. something you've studied at length. And then it just disappeared like all the other empires. Let's try not to use the passive voice. The British Empire did not vanish people beat back the British Empire, right? Yes, Busted yes. it down, busted its walls, um, you know, fought back with terrorism and nonviolent protest and outright armies and did so, and it took 150 years. So yes. it's not like, you know, and for a lot of those people, that was forever because they died, you know? Uh, so yeah. they, they sacrificed their lives to beat back the British. Like this was not, you know, yes. it didn't just erode. It was well, going right. to hang around because it had all the power until it didn't. And the reasons it didn't had a lot to do with macro changes in the world. You're right. But I mean, that idea that Facebook is so dug in that it will it, it will never die. I mean, Yahoo has shrunk in its, uh, it shrunk significantly. AOL shrunk significantly. Uh, yeah. The British Empire shrunk significantly. So these things can look hard as rock, and yet they can, with a lot of pushing, crumble. Um, and I think the, my hope is that Facebook, what is it, 17 years old now? You know, my hope is that Facebook looks like it will last forever, but won't last forever. Tell me if you think there's any reason to be hopeful. Uh, it's nature, it's span. Those things will change over time. They might change in either direction. There's no reason to think it's not going to get bigger before it gets smaller mm. um, or that it's ever going to get really smaller. It just might change its role in our lives, right? I mean, Radio is still big. It just changed its role in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the radio is not one company. So now most companies don't last. Most mm-hmm. companies get run by idiots and get run into the ground or bought mm-hmm. out by idiots and run into the ground or mm-hmm. buy other companies and run both of them into the ground, which is what happened with AOL, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're just living on a, at a different scale here entirely. Again, 3 billion people, 110 languages, and Facebook is one of the 10 richest companies in the world, which means one of the 10 richest companies in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it has so much cash, it could just live on on that forever. Now, given all that, let's think about what could bring it down. Of the proposals circulating, I find just about every one of them cosmetic, inadequate, mm-hmm. because they don't address those three core functions of Facebook, the surveillance, the scale, 3 billion people in 110 languages, and I'm not sure there's anything you can do about that, and 
the algorithmic amplification. So what can mm -hmm. you do about those things? Well, in the United States, you can't do anything about telling Facebook how and why and what it expresses. Mm -hmm. We have this First Amendment thing that every company has rights to, so we're not gonna be able to tell Facebook that it ha can't run certain things or it can't amplify certain things. That's always gonna be an internal choice and Facebook never has the incentive to be good to human beings. Yeah. Why? Because everyone at Facebook thinks they are being good to human, well, not everyone, the whistleblowers didn't, right? But mm -hmm. like the top management truly believe that that people would be better off if they used Facebook more. That's what's crazy. It's like it's mm -hmm. like a total looking glass world in there. Mm -hmm. Now, now that said, um, what can, of those things, what can you do something about? The surveillance. If we had multi-continent, multi-country, multilateral attempts to limit the collection analysis and duration of data, mm. right? That, that let's say the United States and the European Union and Canada and Mexico all decided tomorrow or in the next six months that any company that collects personal information and, and surveils us must delete all the data, not anonymize, delete all that data within six months of its acquisition. Mm. And you can only use this most recent data for your job, right? And it can't build up these great sets. And it doesn't have to be six months. It could be 30 days. Like, mm -hmm. who cares what's good for them, right? Yeah. And you could say, uh, you could also limit the ways that data can be used. You can say, this data shall not be used for advertising targeting. Oh, my God. That would blow everybody away, right? Yeah. Now, that's, this would also mean it would you would have a huge fight against Verizon and a huge fight against CVS and a huge fight against Kroger and every company that collects data on us and uses it to target ads, which is almost every company, you know, Comcast. So you're not just fighting Facebook and Google when you go after the heart of Facebook and Google, you're going after the entire chamber of commerce. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a problem, but it, it, you know, sometimes you gotta fight a big fight like the British empire. What about you know what we've heard about from progressives? The idea of, I think the meme is, we must break up Facebook um, yeah. using antitrust laws. Uh, is that, do you see that as a reform? I, I don't for two reasons. One, um, I generally think that we have yet to see a good example of competition, market competition, actually disciplining a major dominant company in any meaningful way beyond price itself. And price isn't a thing for Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. We, we mm -hmm. use it for free, but we're not the market anyway. I mean, thinking about users as a market is the wrong way to think about Facebook. The market is advertisers. And the fact is advertisers, the price of advertising in America has gone down and is going down. And there's a lot of competition there. Right. Even if that competition mm -hmm. is mostly between Facebook and Google, there are a hundred other players who are competing for advertising money. So that's a really competitive market in the market. Mm -hmm. So antitrust law in America is all about the market and all about prices. Right? It's not about users. Now, there are other things that antitrust law concerns itself with. Anti-competitive behavior, the ways in which companies leverage their advantages to limit entry into the market. So mm -hmm. one of the examples that uh, a lot of the attorneys general are going for and the Justice Department and the FTC are going for is the 2012 purchase of Instagram for Facebook stock. Now, what they argue is that here was Facebook swallowing up a potential competitor. I don't want to like be in the defense witness for Facebook, but the- mm -hmm. Fact is, the truth is, and the story is, Instagram wasn't all that when Facebook bought it. Mm -hmm. Instagram was one of a number of photos posting and sharing and filtering services out there, including Hipstamatic, and there were you know mm -hmm. four or five others, and they were all basically equal in quality and and market penetration. 
uh, Zuckerberg just bought his favorite and bought the one that was for sale. Mm -hmm. And the reason Instagram is what it is is because of Facebook. Nobody really wants to admit that, you know? Because yes. they want to look at Instagram now and say, oh, look, it's, you know, 60% of teenagers in this country are on Instagram and 50% are on Facebook. So, you know, if we split them up, then the future is an actual competitive market. Not really. You take Instagram away from Facebook, that means you take Instagram away from all of Facebook's marketing data and its advertising system, and then Instagram quickly loses money and goes out of business. Hmm. So... You know, that's one reason I'm not big on antitrust as a solution here. The other thing is just in general, I don't think antitrust is that powerful. I'm for it because it's healthy in other ways. Like I would love to see it in the airline industry, but let's not pretend that it solves every problem. The breakup of Standard Oil a hundred years later resulted in the ref reformation of Exxon and Mobil, the world's largest oil company, both of which were elements of Standard Oil, right? AT&T split up then reassembled. And then mm -hmm. the AT&T of recent years has at times owned CNN and HBO and is still the largest uh, mobile delivery, mobile data and service delivery company in the world. So, uh, you know, like it doesn't really make a difference in the long term. It doesn't really, it does, it does some nice things, but it doesn't get to the heart of the problem. Can I say something about the book I'm Please. working on next? Yes. Uh, it's about this problem and I call it cacophony. And basically what I'm arguing is we spent 200 years in a relatively dark and quiet world trying to bring more light and sound into it. And mm -hmm. we steadily did with new methods, mm. new inventions, new norms, new laws. The combination of that gets us to 2000, you know, let's say 1995 when we all got those AOL discs in our magazines mm -hmm. back when we had magazines. By 2000, we have largely solved the quiet and dark problem. Hmm. By 2007, we all have these devices or we start to buy these devices and large numbers that sit in our purses and our pockets. And what do we do? Well, we have democratized or empowered expression and we brought in diversity of voices. Wow. Yes, all good. We've been fighting for that for 200 years. We have different problems now. Our problems are no longer about maximizing the quantity of expression in the world. That was an 18th, 19th, and at least half of the 20th century problem. The 21st century problem is cacophony, is that mm. we are our attention is being pulled in so many directions that it is systematically almost impossible to launch a disciplined examination and deliberation about the problems we face. This is why we can't get anywhere on climate change, the moment we get together to try to figure out step two, right? What do we do about this? We all agree on the baseline. What are our policy options, our lifestyle options, et cetera? Mm -hmm. We never get there. We're washed back by the trolling. Like we're not able to get to the point where we can actually address problems like grownups. And yeah. I think it's because we've allowed this problem of the cacophony because we've maximized speech in terms of quantity and paid no attention to quality and let the institutions that foster deliberation fester and rust. This is so enlightening, Siva. I'm going to have to have you back when this book comes out. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's show. Make sure you don't miss the next This is Critical by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people learn about the show. 
For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Harry Huggins is the producer, with help from consulting producer Tamika Weatherspoon. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Stitcher. Virginia Heffernan. I know you're eagerly awaiting this week's episode of This is Critical, but something was so critical this week that I couldn't wait until Thursday to talk about it. If you missed my episode all about the Facebook brouhaha, go back in your feed a couple days and listen to it. I promise you, my guest's take will still be uh, piping hot today. And don't worry, we'll be back on our regular schedule next week with an episode featuring former Congresswoman Katie Hill. Make sure you don't miss it by following us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, stay critical. Stitcher.